uh, intro. So, uh, I'm Justin. I'm Tim. I'm Frank. I am also Frank. All of us are plaid lads. You better deal with it, America. Low job. Cunnilingus. Uh, well, welcome to the first lost episode of the Plaid Labs. <laughs> We've made a real effort at trying to have like lost episodes before. This might be it. <laughs> I started recording again. I, was, oh, I, had, wow. I, I had to get that gold. Wow, wow, wow. I had to get that gold down on tape. <laughs> I did something to blackmail you. Oh, Frank quit. Bye, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? Uh, I don't know. Oh no, I was just grabbing a, my uh, my beverage. Are you in a gaming chair? <laughs> no, this is just a, a regular chair. Is that is that like for playing World of Warcraft? <laughs> no, you... it would be for playing Hearthstone. Jesus, fuck you! Is that the a... World of Warcraft trading card game? Ah! <gasps> 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 okay. Uh, did we have a current events song? It's the day of tomorrow, tomorrow and the, the day, day of yesterday. yesterday. We will look, look towards the future. future. It's a brand new day. It's the week of February something if. 20 something 84 <laughs> and stuff has happened. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Hey guys, can we talk about Ryan Adams? Uh, yeah. Yeah. This I don't I know anything probably about, should. so I would like to hear. Yes. So uh, <sighs> it turns out that uh, little ragamuffiny Joe. Uh, Ryan Adams, I've never cared about his music. Um, it's very plain. It's super plain, Jane. As vanilla as it gets, I think. I, I liked Heartbreaker. That's pretty much as far as I go. You like the music of a depraved monster, my friend. Yeah, and and, and I say like. It was not even. It didn't even go much farther than that. He's uh, like but, XPN shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. I hate... Yeah, he's, a ta- he's more of a talented producer than he is a... Uh, talented musician and it would so. seem that he has honed that production talent purely to harangue women into sleeping with him <laughs> almost entirely because he produced records by a lot of women yeah oh, it's uh disturbing so apparently mr ryan adams if you haven't heard uh would um uh, contact up-and-coming female songwriters singer-songwriter types and offer to collaborate collaborate and record uh, and then start, uh, you know, pestering them for sex. And uh, if they rebuffed him, he would then resend his offers of production and recording and fail to release things that they had recorded. Uh, so basically using his uh, reputation as a uh, kingmaker in uh, indie singer-songwriter spheres uh, to leverage sexual stuff. Uh, including, and this is the one the FBI is investigating, uh, when he discovers a, a literal teenager from somewhere in America, a little uh, a teenager who plays the bass, and uh, the FBI is sifting through their thousands of text correspondence looking for if he was soliciting a minor. 
Um, yeah, it was. Um, so there was literally something like four thousand texts, and the um, the victim uh, has alleged that there was a video chat um, that was like that became an explicit video chat wherein he exposed himself to her on like a either a FaceTime or a Skype, but it was over a phone. Um, so that's something that they will be able to access. Um, and in addition to that crime, um, there is the not crime, but moral crime of, uh, he was at one point for several years married to Mandy Moore, yeah, I didn't know uh, who before she was a successful actress on this is us and a couple of other projects, she was a pop star. She was a pop musician. What? I don't remember. Yeah. And then she, uh, married him and suddenly she stopped making music. Oh, no. And she said he in the article, she made a very brief statement saying that he is a very controlling and abusive person. And I think he had started to produce her records. And at one point in her life, she just stopped making music. And there was that was something super fucking heartbreaking. So, uh, I think me and Frank are both going off the long form uh, New York Times piece uh, talking about this. And there there was the Mandy Moore thing Frank just referenced, but also the teenager uh and another singer songwriter who is a bit older both and this i had to stop reading and fucking die uh both of them after their experiences with mr adams decided not to make music anymore jesus fucking christ uh so uh jesus. anyway so that that guy's total, that guy's a real scumbag total shit um, there is a there was a thing a long time ago where um, the uh, coincidentally enough, the music critic Jim DeRogatis, who was the guy who has been doggedly pursuing the R. Kelly uh, investigation for something like 20 years. Um, he wrote a bad review of a Ryan Adams album and Ryan Adams got fucking shit ass wasted and uh, recorded a horrible uh, call on his voicemail. Uh, and that's on YouTube. If you ever want to listen to Ryan Adams, be a real fucking asshole. Jesus Christ. To somebody. So. I'm, I'm kind of suspicious of anyone who's in those circles, that sort of milk toast singer song writer thing. Mm. It's like you have to have no soul to make something so soulless. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't trust them. I don't know. I mean, like he did weird shit for for some periods of his career. Like he did like a weird doom metal album at one point, and he wanted he started like a goth band. So he did these like weird bits of experimentation, but they were always so arch and always so when it, there's there are times when artists genuinely go out there and experiment with shit like uh, Brian Eno or, or PJ Harvey or somebody like that, where they do genuinely out there shit just to do it. And then there's times when somebody like Ryan Adams does it and it just seems like so much of a put on. Yeah. He did an entire cover album of Taylor Swift's of 1989. Yeah. yeah, who has that kind of time on their hands? It's uh, 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 nihilists. <laughs> it's uh, and empty, the, the weird empty thing people. Was, <laughs> the, the weird thing with the 1989 thing was the turnover was so quick. Like yeah. the day 1989, the Taylor Swift album dropped, he dropped that cover album. How did he? So even... very weird. <sighs> so anything else going on? We are. In I mean, there's politics shit happening. Like. But we made like a, a weird vow to oh, not God. talk about it. Um, I mean, we could talk about the impending constitutional crisis, but I don't think anybody wants yeah, guys, to. 
I, I, I'm afraid of taking this dark turn. We kind of swore it off, but I need to check in with everybody. Is everybody okay with the emergency? Is yeah. Are you okay? Do you have enough food and water stocked up? There's an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the Justin's our, our, doing his. Uh, <laughs> Just, Justin's doing the thing, Tim. Uh, this is the thing. This is the thing he does. Fucking <laughs> 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 shit! Yeah, here it is. Okay, here okay, no, okay, all right, it's all coming. Right. No, okay, so this, this is, okay, this is like a, it's a man, it's a, uh, uh, okay. So, like, there's this crazy man, right? Uh, I, 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 I hate to say that word. That sounds derogatory. But a, um, a, 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 a soulless um, a sack of shit man who's uh, running around naked in the forest, right? And he's having a grand, wonderful time, right? And he uh, gets his foot uh, caught in a, in a bear trap, right? Um, and then... Uh, I lost the thread. What's happening? You, you usually get farther in your metaphors than that. Okay, okay. Let me think of a better one. This is fucking stupid. <laughs> we we live in an idiot realm of of uh, uh is is. Everybody sees the same thing. I don't think anybody's delusional. Nobody's delusional. It's very clear, and everybody's on board with the clearness of it. It's just that there's there's nihil. It, it, it's it's a it's a it's a world full of nihilism. Why can't we believe in something? I uh, I had a uh, I had a thought during the week that uh, you know how I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how the whole the whole world seems to be going to shit in the United States, the Western world, France, Germany, Europe, uh, 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 Philippines, UK. everywhere. Uh, and I was thinking about it, and I thought about what if there's like a physical cause, and I thought about how uh, you can trace a, a causational line through statistics between the use of leaded gasoline and a decline in IQ and a raise in violent crime uh, and and other sentiments. And then as we That's took interesting. leaded gasoline out, these numbers returned to normal, the violent crime decreased, uh, general IQ went up. Uh, uh, and it's this really well-documented case of how a public health thing had massive macro effects on the arc of history. Mm. And I was thinking, what if we just all have a mood disorder from the internet? And that's what? Oh, why. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What if it drove everyone fucking crazy? Yeah. Well, because I think that's what it did. Well, I think it's because when we look at... Um, with social media, we're looking at a screen... Uh, and that screen is showing us people we know. Um, but what we're seeing is not real. And we know that. We're, we're not stupid. We understand that people are putting the best face onto the internet. So we're seeing uh, uh, this truth that we understand is a falsity. And that's infecting every single thing of how we're viewing the world. We... we we both believe in what's there and disbelieve it as well. Interesting. Mm, I like that. It's like an epistemological it, crisis. This yeah. is another like buzzword uh, my partner Rachel has brought up. She philosophizes on uh, social media and how it affects us a lot. And, and she 
has used the term hyper reality a lot. Mm. Ooh. Um, oh, yeah, when yeah. it comes to like uh, our relationships with with uh, social media and the interweb w- world. Mm. So I that's hyper reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but I did want to make another point getting back to like how shitty everything in the world is. Mm-hmm. Um, or seems and is. <laughs> seems. So I'd like to say seems because I was recently listening to a different pa- podcast. Sorry, guys. Oh, <laughs> there are other God podcasts? damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's called the Revolutionary Left Podcast, and I've been trying to just. Uh, I, I'm just trying to learn as much as possible about perspectives that are not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was an episode they did about hip hop and race, and, and one of the guests, I wish I remembered his name, but um, he he mentioned that every, you know, when Donald Trump was elected, every every white person was like, oh, God damn, what the hell? Mm. But every other president has been Donald Trump to people of color. Mm. in uh, a lot snakier ways and a lot slimier mm. ways and a lot of yeah. uh, covert ways. And this is the t- first time we're being confronted with it very belligerently. Yes. Yeah. And, and again, these are not my words. This is not my perspective, but mm. that's a perspective I really, like, um, I heard. And it, it, it shocked me and it, and, um, it made me very uh, depressed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, Frank mentioned the constitutional crisis potentially being a thing, like this expansion, imperial presidency, expansion mm-hmm. of presidential powers, uh, and it's going to be challenged in the courts. And these are powers that existed, but this sort of uh, carte blanche use of them is a little new. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, he's doing this for political reasons, this fictitious thing. That's nothing new. I mean, Eisenhower had oh, no, yeah. Operation Wetback for crying. Yeah. Literally, that's what it's called. Wow, that's, that's what shocking. It's called yeah. in the record where native-born U.S. citizens who were of Mexican descent were deported mm. and couldn't argue their case because they were Spanish speakers. Um, you know, there's yellow journalism. We faked the sinking of the Maine to invade Cuba. I mean, yeah. the the. Fucking uh, Bay of Tolkien and Tolkien. Uh, <laughs> the Bay of Tolkien. The Bay, you know, when those. The, the Bay of when we fucking sniped J.R.R. Tolkien. We uh, murked that guy. No. Shot him in the head. When we, we, we oh did a, a false flag attack on some uh, some Rohani uh, uh, riders. <laughs> the Roarim. To. And blamed it on the Orakai. See, that, all of that is. Uh, all of that is, is true. Um, that uh, it's all been uh, less um, uh, uh, in your face about it, and it's always been happening. The the thing that is truly different is the fucking rise in uh, hate crime <laughs> uh, throughout this fucking country. Yeah, there is a significant rise of of hate crimes either implicitly or explicitly tied to the president yeah. in ways that should be alarming to most right-thinking people. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, although I will say, like, Tim, to your point, and this oh, was something that, that And my that point I, was not to say that, that, that none, uh, we're 
taking anything too seriously no, or no, anything. No, no, no. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no this, but, everything is happening is very real, yeah. and it's very yeah, scary, yeah. and it's horrifying, and I hope yeah. everybody feels loved. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, to your point, like um, – uh, I, to bolster your point about what you said about what was the podcast called revolutionary left yeah that's correct yeah that's um that that it's cool that they said that because like one of the things about the Donald Trump era that struck me as being like unique and I talked about this back when you know for about three weeks on this podcast we were talking about the Jamal Khashoggi stuff mm-hmm. and at the end of it uh the resolution to it was, Donald Trump wrote a thing where he said, you know, look, even if the Saudi prince directly ordered this uh, murder of a dissident journalist who was, you know, uh, a a possessor of a U.S. green card, uh, we have too much uh, financially vested in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia to do anything about it. So what made that unique was it's masks Mm. off. We're not even acting like we have any sort of uh, shared values with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia anymore. We're acknowledging that it is all transactional and yeah. that it is pure, unrepentant, demonic capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're, that's we're just not hiding anything that's, anymore. That's the belligerence, I think. Um, yeah. And it's the, the fact that they're, he's just not trying to hide anything. It, yeah. That's a, that's a benefit, and it's sort of a a downside. But it's a benefit because I think it wakes more people up. Absolutely, I, yeah. I, that's I, that's the benefit that I see is like I've never had as many conversations like I've had like these with yeah. with yeah. people before. Like, and granted, I've not been uh, an adult voting for very long, but like um, brag. <laughs> Wait, how old are you? Uh, I'm 24. <laughs> God damn it! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but n- that doesn't matter. Oh, Tim, Tim, Tim's, Tim's my son. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Tom's my dad for sure. Um, uh, this is the Plaid Dad's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh shit! We're we up. should all invite our dads. Oh god! No, nope, <laughs> and just nope, like nope. they'll replace us, right? I wouldn't be on board <laughs> for that. <laughs> we don't have to be here for it. We just record them talking to each other about no- nothing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's so, we'll give yeah. them some bullet points, but the <laughs> so four out of four, are four out of four of the people involved here ethnically Irish in some extraction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and oh, wait, Tom no. has off the boat Irish father. Yeah. So when you yeah. put an off the boat Irish person with a bunch of Irish Americans. That's like uh, oh shit. That's like every day of his life. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. In this region, uh, uh, yeah. Well, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm go- I'm just gonna make one last little point about our Trumpy poos uh, and uh, the hate crimes. To use a uh, chemistry analogy. Uh, now, okay, so the human cost and the damage it does is uh, abhorrent, and it ca- p- human lives can't be replaced. The damage it does to people can't be undone, only lived with, and it has knock-on effects. Uh, all this is true, uh, but I, to use a sloppy analogy, I think Trump is more of a catalyst than he is a new substance in the chemical equation. He's not yeah. some. Mm. He's not some new reactor that's changing things i think uh there was a bunch of shit that was ready to react uh but it just wasn't being uh activated right and then he's the catalyst he's still there he hasn't changed he'll be there when it's done probably uh but he's spurred 
this shit on and it's uh yeah but that said the human toll and the psychic toll it has on everybody who just hearing about it um is real and uh, probably immeasurably large so uh net negative (laughs) (laughs) that negative experience uh zero out of ten would not Not vote for again (laughs) (laughs) i get frank (laughs) frank (laughs) did you vote for him just as a goof? <laughs> no, no. Uh, I remember, like, Justin, do you remember the day after the election? When, yeah. Well, Tom, you and I were working together on the night of the election. Yeah, that and was... the day after, Tom, Justin, and I were working together. Yeah. But, like, the night of, Tom and I were experiencing profound anxiety. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. And then the day after... It it was just shell shock. But anyway, I, I was uh, watching uh, watching it that night at home, and I had to take a moment to walk around in my field, listening to the uh, soundtrack to Hamilton and yes, and, and weeping. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it, that that was a bad night. That was Ooh. probably one of the worst nights of my life. Is when he got elected. Yeah. Ooh, but anyway, we should want to do that real quick. Yeah. Where was everyone? <laughs> it was that night, like. Uh, so I was with Frank mm-hmm. and uh, at the bookstore, and yeah. uh, I, at one point the place was pretty empty, and it, and it was uh, I was just checking my phone, and I was just the the classic. It's still good. It's still good. Yeah. It's just a little bit. Yeah, of the Simpsons. It's yes. still good. It's she, has she has a path. She has a path. And uh, getting more despondent. And I remember at one point I was in charge of the music. I just started putting on like soothing CDs I had from my car. Mm-hmm. So I just put on, uh, if you're feeling sinister by Bell and Sebastian. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I am feeling sinister. Uh, yeah. And then I went home and it seemed like he was winning and I had a feeling of unrelenting doom and panic. And I uh, felt a murderous and suicidal rage, and I punched a hole through the wall and cut my hand real bad. And uh, uh, I had to call my uh, dad at like midnight. So, uh, and he, like he said, you know, we'll we'll get breakfast tomorrow and talk about it. Uh, I was I was literally waiting for mushroom clouds on the horizon. Yeah, uh, no, I think night. all of us were. Um, so my experience was like, obviously, you and I were together that night, and there was no one in the store, more or less. We were like just watching election coverage on our phones, basically. And um, it was, you know, us two, uh, our pal Lindsay. Shout out to Lindsay. Out to Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Um, <laughs> and a, a coworker who only worked for us for a, a short time, a guy named Colin. Oh, who yeah. made a pretty big impression on all of us because he was a great guy. True. But we were all watching our phones, and um, oh, I, there, there was a point where, Tom, you and I were looking at our phones, and like the percentages in Florida started to take a turn, and we both got sort of low-level, like, terrified. <laughs> yeah. And we were trying not to, like, explain it to Lindsay. Oh. I remember being the, the, the mode. We were trying to be like, oh, well, you know, there's still Michigan and Wisconsin and, you know, all the Rust Belt states. And, like, yeah, you know, she, she has a path through Iowa and all the battleground states. Like, spoiler alert, all the states she fucking lost. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it was definitely. It was more. It was pretty frantic. It wasn't like a concerted effort. It sounds like it sounds like slightly condescending to Lizzie, Lindsay, but I suppose it is because it was that feeling. It was like we were her parents, yeah, and we're yeah. trying. We're trying to like. Oh no! Just category three just means uh, we just have to maybe go to grandma's house in her basement if it, it gets too windy. <laughs> Yeah, and then and uh, still I there went in home. Grandma's basement. Yeah, and Grandma's dead, <laughs> <laughs> and she locked the door. Oh, no. And thus the- began uh, plaid Yeah, I went home, and uh, it was around the time Florida was starting to solidify for Trump, which meant that he was going to win, pretty much. Um. And then my girlfriend called me sobbing because she was worried that she would lose her health insurance oh, because yeah. he promised to repeal Obamacare. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, that was a concern of mine. Uh, Tim? Um, I remember walking. No, me and my brother were in our uh, family home watching the, the news roll in. And um, I, I like was like i was just like i was changing rooms every uh every 30 seconds and uh when when the panic started to set in like you said unrelenting um, that was quite how it felt and then we we went for a walk with his dog and um i remember getting back and uh just uh i was like i need to go to my room and i started Sobbing. Okay. Yeah. And I woke up the next day sobbing and I had therapy and I sobbed again. <laughs> <laughs> Look, guys. Yeah. We don't have to worry about anything because Kamala Harris is gonna oh, fucking wow. ride her way. Speaking into of the, the presidency on fake weed smoke. Oh god. I speaking of surreal we are horror. Shut up, Frank. <laughs> We're not going there. <laughs> We're not going there, Frank. Let's talk about something happy and light and lively, <laughs> like Mulholland no. Drive. Hey, hey. Uh, do, do you guys hear a song? Do you hear a song? Wait, is that a, a song? song? Oh, what, what? Is it a song? Uh, Tim, do you hear that song? No. Is that a fucking song? Where's the fucking song? Jesus. Cue music. I'm just so excited to be here. I'm in this tree place. This one comes highly recommended. What are you doing? Get out of the car. Yeah. The girl is still missing. What's wrong? I don't know who I am. I wonder where you were going. Mulholland Drive. Come on, it'll be just like in the movies. We'll pretend to be someone else. Silencio. This is all an illusion. 
know who you are, don't you? Where's this going? Getting stranger. Uh, this week on the pod. 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 We watched David Lynch's 2001 masterpiece, uh, Mulholland Drive. Drive, 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 drive. Starring Naomi Watts. And Laura Herring and Billy Ray Cyrus. Yes. Yes. Very. (laughs) Yes. That ain't no way to treat your wife, buddy. I don't care what she's done. Justin Theroux. Do you know a fun thing about the Billy Ray Cyrus thing with this movie? What's that? Uh, So Billy Ray Cyrus contributes being in this movie to uh, bringing a demonic curse on his family that led to the <laughs> Miley Cyrus uh, wild child period. Oh of my god! So here's my hot take on that. I love that. That follows. <laughs> yeah, yeah kind that's of. that's incredible. Yeah, like when I look at how she went off the rails or on the rails, if you will. Uh, there was a certain David Lynchy quality to it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I think she kind of like uh, was able to steer her own path. And like she seems to be like a full human being. Yeah, most people have some kind of wilderness. Yeah, she's Bob she now, lived though, in right? Philly for like a year. What? That was that was her like dirtbag period. She lived in South Philly, so yeah. I don't think it was David Lynch. Really I think it was South Philly. Yeah, she in South she discovered twerking in on South Street. <laughs> yeah. That's hard. Um, South Philly. <laughs> also, um, uh, this film stars uh, Robert Forster. Oh, yeah. yeah, Robert Forster. He gets top billing for top one billing scene. for one scene. <laughs> Uh, it is also the last David Lynch project to feature Michael J. Anderson mm-hmm. before Michael J. Anderson went off the rails yes. and accused David Lynch of uh, molesting his own daughter. Which is completely uh, baseless. <laughs> it's totally insane. That's that's why, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Michael J. Anderson was the man from another place in Twin Peaks. Little, uh, he was the, the um, little dancing guy. In the Black Lodge, and he is not in Twin Peaks: The Return. He is replaced by a tree with a brain. Yes. <laughs> um, and the reason why he was replaced is because he went on Facebook a couple of years ago and accused David Lynch of molesting his own daughter Jennifer, and it was completely baseless and nonsense. And the guy's clearly nuts. Uh, but he was in this movie. Uh, as, as the dude, ba- as basically the same thing. We'll get into it. Let's get into it. We're gonna break this thing into three parts, and we're gonna tell you the plot of the first part right now. Here it comes from Wikipedia. Subsection plot: A dark-haired woman in the is the sole survivor of a car crash on Mulholland Drive. Silencio. <laughs> a winding road high in the Hollywood Hills. Injured and in shock, she makes her way down into Los Angeles and sneaks into an apartment. Later that morning, an inspiring actress named Betty Elms arrives at the apartment, which is normally occupied by her Aunt Ruth. Betty is startled to find the woman, 
who has amnesia and assumes the name Rita after seeing a poster for the film Gilda starring Rita Hayworth. To help the woman remember her identity, Betty looks in Rita's purse where she finds a large amount of money and an unusual blue key. At a diner called Winkies, a man tells his companion about a nightmare in which he dreamt there was a horrible figure behind the diner. When they investigate, the figure appears, causing the man with the nightmare to collapse in fright. Elsewhere, director Adam Kesher has his film commandeered by mobsters who insist Played by Justin Theroux. Justin Theroux. Justin Theroux. Commandeered by mobsters who insist he cast an unknown actress named Camilla Rhodes as the lead in his film. Adam resists, but after being thrown out of his house where he finds his wife cheating on him with Billy Ray Cyrus, he learns Mm -hmm. that his bank has closed his line of credit and he is broke. He agrees to meet a mysterious figure called the Cowboy, who urges him. Because I'm a cowboy. <laughs> who urges him to cast Camilla Rhodes for his. Who own I think good. was played actually by our own uh, Frank McDevitt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was. Uh, he was the cowboy. If you oh. see me again, <laughs> he was really You're doing bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you knew what I meant. Uh, me, uh, uh, meanwhile, a bungling hitman attempts to steal a book full of phone numbers and leaves three people dead. <laughs> All right, Act One. Let's get into it. Act One, Scene One. Justin, yes. Talk about that Winky scene. There's a man in back of this place. He's the one who's doing it. I can see him through the wall. I can see his face. I hope that I never see that face ever outside of a dream. Okay, so this is a devil That's movie to me. So one night many years ago, I at three in the morning, I was going through a list of the scariest movie scenes of all time. And none for, of them were... Just for fun. Just for fun. Um, and none of them were that scary to me. And then I came upon... Did they feature Exorcist 3? Is that the one where a lady walks past yes. quickly? Yeah, yeah, through the, the, the frame that's in pr- the hospital. That's pretty creepy. Also, the it one is. from Signs, the birthday party with the alien. Oh, that's yeah. that still chills me. Terrifying. Yeah. But it came upon this scene, and it's just a scene of a man describing his dream. And that in the dream, uh, he sees this uh, figure behind the diner, and it was the scariest thing to him. And I watched the scene with no context to the movie, and it gave me severe panic attacks for multiple weeks after. I had to speak to my therapist about it. Um, Yeah. It it truly affected me. It was sorely tempting in that time to stand behind a wall as Justin was approaching and then slowly come out. But he was, it was so serious that I, we pretty quickly realized it's not a gag we should do. Yeah. But, uh, of course the famous it's, I don't know how they're credited, uh, but the, the witch is actually, uh, it's a woman, I believe it is a woman. Yeah. And just the way it slowly comes from behind the wall and then, and then that brief shot of it going back. Yes. Yeah. Cause it's not a jump scare. No, because no, no, it you know it's coming. You the way that a jump scare does, mm. but it's creepier because yeah. it's broad daylight. And it's also been like uh, explained to us that this is what he sees. Yes, so we're expecting it as we approach yeah. this wall. Exactly, and I think that's what I came to realize about it. 
of of why it is the most terrifying thing, at least to me, is is that fact that he's he's laying out exactly what's going to happen. It's yes beforehand. Yeah. It's his fears are real, which I think I took into my soul to be. Mm. The f- insecurities and fears that you have about yourself are true. <laughs> yeah, and this particular actor, uh, the, the guy's name is Patrick Fischler, um, and he's in a lot of other stuff, but he is most famous for this scene, um, and he's in Mad Men for a period, and then he is in Twin Peaks The Return. Hmm. Uh, he returns to David Lynch's stable as the mysterious mob boss oh. who is just, yeah, he yeah. is just fucking murdered. Like, it's never explained. Like, he is the keeper of the box. Yeah. With the entity in New York. And then he just gets murdered. Um, That's right. Uh, but he is, like, sort of in David Lynch's sort of sphere. But he has this face that's mm. very sort of uh, uh, amenable to fear yes, and amenable to anxiety. And the way that he is describing this dream to his companion in the diner and then the way he reacts to the sort of garbage entity behind Winkies is so affecting Yeah, because his fear is palpable. His anxiety is palpable because uh, he has like this sort of big wide face uh, that's, that's really expressive um, and it's it's just one of the scariest, weirdest scenes in cinema. And it it's, uh, it seems like a total non sequitur, uh, but it yeah, establishes a few things that become important later on in the film. Uh, one is the importance of Winkies by itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it gives us the character. I forget what, what it's credited as, but the the demonic witch character. Is I think I think it's just it, it's credited as the man behind the. Is is it? I thought it was some. It was like the uh, yeah. the bum, the bum, the homeless, or something along those lines. Uh, which um, me and Justin got in, got into yeah, it about bum. this. It's just credited as the bum. Me and Justin got into this. The uh, the allegorical significance of this character later on but at this point in the film it just feels like a non sequitur and this kind of like cheese ball narrative that feels very um feels very uh corny uh surreal david lynch and it just increases as the film goes on uh we see the car crash that gives the dark-haired lady amnesia and uh, rita and sends her on her journey interacting with betty which that whole thing What's uh, incredible about this film in all of David Lynch's work is he, I think honestly, until Twin Peaks, The Return, he hasn't juggled tones so well. Because you're talking about that there's this cheesy kind of narrative. That's the Naomi Watts in the beginning. I think he did for his whole career, but we're going to talk about it. Oh, he, He did for his whole career, but... um. The shift is With, so within within deliberate. the same scenes, even um, yeah. Naomi Watts during the beginning of the film. We'll we'll get to it. Um, is very naive and seem is uh, acting very uh, uh, early film star, uh, wide eyed and yeah and uh, um, uh, and uh, uh, like a, a bunny rabbit, and then the dark haired woman is such 
hardcore like noir. Yeah. Yeah. She's a femme fatale. Yeah. She she looks uh like a lot of the actresses that Howard Hughes would cast as leads. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, of- she looks yeah, she looks like Rita Hayworth. Yeah, specifically, and that's that's where she gets the name from. And like Naomi Watts is the ingenue, the blonde. Mm. Yeah, there's the a contrast instant. there, light and dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm. Cool. Uh, what else do we get? We 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 meet Justin Thoreau, and we oh my god, some Thoreau. Academy He's Louis Theroux's half brother. <laughs> Academy Award uh, to fucking uh, the actors and act- Billy Ray Cyrus, the actress yeah, playing yeah. his girlfriend who's cheating oh, on him. Yeah, exactly. uh, and then the big heavy mob guy <laughs> who comes in. Yeah. Uh, which, in a way, yeah, fucking for real, because you don't realize till the end and you look at the film holistically that no, they were being very specifically directed to act that way. It was all very intentional and deliberate. Yeah. Um, including the funniest scene in the film which is the uh the hitman killing spree <laughs> yeah yes. uh which if you don't uh, re- i don't that's he goes in and he's talking to the guy with some of the worst dialogue uh and then he shoots the one guy but then he realizes his bullet has gone through the wall and hit another yeah. woman who he has to then go in oh and God. kill it's, it's, oh yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's hilarious and you're talking about juggling tone the beginning of that scene there it's being such stereotypical and it's it's super fucking cheesy and but because it's david lynch we're accepting of it like yeah he sometimes goes this way and it's broken up by intense uh uh random violence the man is shot dead and it oh it the scene bottoms out yeah but then yeah. And then the comedy of errors. That Something is- bit me in the ass, the lady thinks. <laughs> and then he and then he has to kill the the janitor. Yeah. No, oh come here, gosh. man. No, come here. Uh, David Lynch's um comedy instincts <laughs> are very old fashioned. Yes. Like, and he has a when it comes to comedy, he has a very Brechtian <laughs> eye for what's funny. Because he wants it to sort of break your sense of reality, mm-hmm. and he has a very stagey, very old-fashioned idea of, of comedy, which is actually sort of amenable to Frasier. Interesting, yeah. Because huh. Frasier has a very intricate sort of old-fashioned eye for what comedy you know, is. Yeah. You know that sequence with the bungling murderer could have yeah. been Niall. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, it reminds me of when they did the radio play, Old Fashioned Entertainment, yeah. and Niles yeah, loses yeah, yeah, yeah. it and uses the balloons to uh, kill everyone in the radio yeah. play. I'm just going to take this gun off the table. Sorry about that, O'Toole. I guess we'll never hear your fascinating piece of the puzzle. Or yours, Cragen and Peppo. Could the McAllister sisters stand back to back? I'm short on bullets. Thank you. What was your name again, dear? Miss Thorndike. Thank you. Ah, and also Mr. Wing. And of course, one final bullet for myself, so the mystery will die with me. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, but yeah, but that that sort of like David Lynch's driving instinct for what is funny um, mm. 
and it's what I think he enjoys. And like, I don't think he cares whether audiences receive that or not. Like that's just sort of his driving instinct for how he constructs things. Um, And I think literally he just put the bungling hitman part in the movie because it reminded him of something that would be in a movie in the thirties or the forties. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. I, I have my, I have a strong feeling. I don't think will be the popular opinion, but I have a strong feeling from this film. Uh, So I think, Perhaps let's move on to the middle bit. Tim, if you could tell us what happened next. Please, pretty please. Silencio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, continuing where Tom left off, while trying to learn more about Rita's accident, Betty and Rita go to Winkies and are served by a waitress named Diane, which causes Rita to remember the name Diane Selwyn. They find Del- Diane Selwyn in the phone book and call her, but she does not answer. Betty goes to an audition where her performance is highly praised. A casting agent takes her to a soundstage where a film called The Sylvia North Story, directed by Adam, is being cast. When Camilla Rhodes auditions, Adam capitulates to casting her. Betty locks eyes with Adam, but she flees before she can meet him, saying she is late to meet a friend. Uh, and Betty and Rita go to Diane Selwyn's apartment and break in when no one answers the door. In the bedroom, they find the body of a woman who has been dead for several days. Terrified, they return to their apartment where Rita disguises herself with a blonde wig. She and Betty have sex that night. At 2 a.m., Rita insists they go to a theater club, Silencio. 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 (laughs) (laughs) The MC explains in different languages that everything is an illusion. Rebecca Del Rio comes on stage and begins singing the Roy Orbison song, Crying, in Spanish. Then collapses while her vocals continue. Her performance was a recording. Betty finds a blue box in her purse that matches Rita's key. Upon returning to the apartment, Rita retrieves the key and finds that Betty has disappeared. Rita unlocks the box and it falls to the floor with a thump. Bum, bum, I think this is a perfect uh, time to bring up how fucking incredible Naomi Watts is in, in this film. Amazing. Amazing in this film. I think I know where you're going. And um, I will let you go there. We'll, we'll get to... Uh, I, I believe she, in a sense, plays uh, four different characters... Kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which For which sure. a lot of this um, um, uh, is looking forward to Twin Peaks The Return. Uh, well, yeah, the, like that. It like this is his corpus. This is his body of work. Like it's a Rosetta Stone for what he did before and what he's going to do after. Mm-hmm. But um, we'll we'll get to the fourth character Naomi Watts plays later on. Uh, but Naomi Watts in the most of these uh, the beginning segments of the film, the character herself is uh, 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 f- cornbread middle America, exactly America's sweetheart, very um, whimsy, like Donna Reed, exactly yes, yeah. Um, but there's a scene with her running lines with the uh, brunette lady, yeah, um, where. Where she is acting decently. 
Yeah, like yep. being a decent actor, which is very, it's very hard for an actor in a thing to do bad acting and decent acting. So I, that switch is like, oh, that's amazing. And then the audition scene yeah, is fucking incredible. Fucking transcendent. I'll let you guys yeah. talk about it. Yeah, so... No, so. yeah, it, it, She's reading lines. She has a lead for an audition uh, for an, uh, an an old friend of her aunt's who's like a screenwriter trying to get a film made, and that's what she's rehearsing. And then she she runs it in a competent uh, uh, way with uh, Rita, the brunette. Before what? Before I kill you. Then they put you in jail. Then I cry, 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 and then I say with big emotion, I hate you! I hate us both! <laughs> uh, but then when she actually goes to the to the audition, and she's actually standing uh, against the man who's been cast as the male lead, this orange ball of wrinkles. Uh, and the, the scene is sort of like classic tawdry, uh, uh, you know, forbidden love dialogue. Uh, but yeah. her delivery of it is so intensely sensual and sexual and charged and subtle. Before and- I kill you. Well, then they put you in jail. And I just remember watching this feeling so bad for the old orange man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I just having somebody act that at you at any level. I felt bad yeah. for his character. I felt bad for the real actor, the man. I felt bad. Yeah. Uh, just, and it was, uh, otherworldly, uh, and a great piece of acting and, and, yeah. and uh, totally, um, totally a different texture to sort of the deliberate uh, deliberate hamminess of sort of the first two-thirds of this film, mm. this, the, the first reality of the film. Yeah, this is where I noticed, like, the um, mm-hmm. really extreme shift. That I was like, okay, th- this is, like, very uncharacteristic. This is not how I was expecting Naomi Watts to play. Mm. Mm. Um yeah, yeah, it wasn't um, like her character. Yeah, not at all, and especially the character she was even portraying um, was so different from who we have seen of her so far. Um, one last thing I want to say about the scene is the director says to them, and it's something that I think is um, uh, a Rosetta Stone to David Lynch's work. A manifesto. A manifesto. He's, a manifesto. <laughs> Jesus. That's how he talks. <laughs> a manifesto. Jesus Christ. He's it's Ross Perot. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he says. Ross um, He says, "Don't play it." Ri- something like, "We'll we'll cut it in." Why don't, would you want to play a movie on your fucking phone? Jesus. <laughs> he says, "Don't play it real until it's real," and I think that's exactly what David Lynch does throughout all of his work. I just want to call attention to a scene real quick, which is the scene where uh, Betty auditions for, or she's gone to a uh, audition for the film uh, Adam is making. Um, 
and uh, they have this uh, moment of recognition between the two of them. Mm-hmm. But then she's pulled away by uh, a need of uh, Rita. And I think that's a very telling dynamic for stuff later on. Yes. So um, then, then we have the silencio scene. We have the silencio scene. Which is kind of like the, the key. Yes. Literally. To the whole film. Oh, yeah. And then they fucked. Well, first, first uh, Rita puts on a blonde wig. And suddenly, uh, they're kind of turning into the same person. Yeah, it's it's um it's a very uh, I think we talked. Oh no, me, wait, me and you talked about it, Frank. Maybe off pod about the movie First Reformed. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, we talked about it off pod. Where I think it's a. Um, I think it is it, a deathless masterpiece that will stand the test of time. And you are uh, I, a stupid, bad, and wrong person. No, no, no. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very good piece of art because it made me think about how much I hated it. No, I didn't hate it. <laughs> but, but what I, I said is that movie is very much Vertigo, and and. Uh, not vertigo. Yeah, vertigo. No, it is not. It is. It is one hundred percent vertigo. It's a. It's a direct no, it shot for Actually. shot remake. They even got Jimmy Stewart in it. <laughs> yeah. And oh, they, they, oh they, I'm so mad about the environment. <laughs> anyway, so there are like some slight like nods towards that kind of dynamic. I think Vertigo is an overrated film, and it's referenced You're too much. Dead to me. <laughs> Eat a shit, you dead sponge. I'm going to kill you. Rear Window is the superior film. I'm sorry if it's no, not as artistic. Not. You fucking pretentious They're bitch. both great. They're both great. We're, we'll Vertigo. get to it at the end of this discussion. <clears throat> oh, no, you believe me. Jesus, come on. Move it on. Anyway, so, uh, so yeah, they, they make love with each other. And I think, Tom, did you say... so? Tim, you said you noticed the main the change beginning with Naomi Watts in the audition scene. Tom, I believe you said you noticed the change during the sex scene. Yes, I may have. I don't know. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I noticed um, I, the, the, the film I, I kind of started comparing it to in my mind was uh, Persona, uh, Ingmar Bergman yes. film. Uh, A very two. direct influence. Uh, so then in the middle of the night, they awaken and a strange uneasiness moves them uh, to, to uh, go to this silencio. And uh, we get the impresario uh, who is... Um, uh, making uh, a very strong point that uh, there is no orchestra, everything's pre-recorded. Hey, Banda! It is all a tape. Il n'est pas de orchestra. It is. An illusion. And then we get a long, uh, sultry, uh, visually stunning performance uh, of a Roy Orbison song, and then the singer faints dead, and, and they're in the audience, and they find this 
tremendously compelling. They are in, in, enraptured by the proceedings on stage, and that's when the uh, uh, the box is discovered. So this is a key moment. This realization of uh, unrealness uh, is a key moment, and that's when normally you would say you would get the key to a problem, but in this case, you got the box to the key. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I, I just want to that whole scene. They they keep stressing that this is not real. I, this is all pre-recorded, and and they're reacting so strongly to it. And this is David Lynch uh, giving his treatise on art. <laughs> mm. You know, yeah, it's not real. None of this is real. Uh, David Lynch doesn't care to draw you into the narrative. If you get what I mean. Like like so many things try to, mm. you know what I mean? He's not going yeah. for realism. He's he is making a film for you to watch, or he is making. Let's let's get it, to that. It, it's I, an emotional experience, mm-hmm. and plot is not his bag. We're yes. gonna have to have it out because I think that we have some disagreement on this point. So if Justin, okay, you'll take us through our third act. Okay, so. Uh, so just to refresh you, Rita unlocks the box and it falls to the floor with a thump. Diane Sel oh oh what's going on? Diane Selwyn wakes up in her bed in the same apartment that Betty and Rita investigated. She what? looks exactly like Betty, but is a failed actress driven into a deep depression by her failed affair with Camilla Rhodes. Who's that? A successful actress who looks exactly like Rita. <gasps> at Camilla's yeah, invitation, Diane attends a party at Adam's house on Mulholland Drive. Oh, where have I heard that before? At dinner, Diane states she came to Hollywood when her Aunt Ruth died and left her some money, and she met... <laughs> Jesus. Camilla... <laughs> And oh, shut, damn it. shut up! <laughs> I'm reading here! <laughs> um, and she met Camilla at an audition for the Sylvia North story. Another woman who looks like the Camilla Rhodes from earlier kisses Camilla, and they turn and smile at Diane. Adam and Camilla prepare to make an important announcement, but they dissolve into laughter and kiss while Diane watches, crying. Later, Diane meets the hitman at Winkies, hiring him to kill Camilla. He tells her she'll find a blue key in her apartment when the job is completed. In her apartment, Diane looks at the blue key on her coffee table. Distraught, she is terrorized by hallucinations and runs screaming to her bed where she shoots herself. A woman at the theater whispers, Silencio. Um, I don't mean to jump ahead too much within this, but this film has uh, the, in my mind, top three masturbation scenes. And I mean so, that legitimately. The masturbation scene in this movie is viscerally upsetting. Yes. yes. It is disturbing. It is sad. It, you know, it, it, it fucking sucked. So I know, I know yours is uh, uh, Ocean Monster Love Fest. What's that called? The Shape of Water, I think, has a wonderful Excellent. and necessary to the plot masturbation scene. And the Love other- that film. And the other one is, is adaptation. adaptation. Yes, has an amazing has several <laughs> several. There's a, a another one in a film called Spanking the Monkey <laughs> by David O. Russell. What's uh, it about, Frank? <laughs> where, <laughs> it's about that. 
the guy learns to masturbate in the movie called Spanking the Monkey. Um, but he ends up accidentally masturbating to his mom. Like that's oh, the, come on, come on. Ah, back on topic, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think there there is a um, in each of those masturbation scenes there is a a great inherent truth to the scenes. It's it's uh, it's of uh, it's so uh, um, upsetting in this film because I think it's the uh, greatest moment of uh, empathy from the audience to her uh, in that moment in the film. I don't think I've. I felt her emotions more than that scene. And the movie needed it. The movie needed to bring you into her mind or else the, it wouldn't work. I, w- I, will, I will say that that perhaps was the emotional grounding point for the tonal shift represented in this last act of the film. This, uh, this uh, shifting of realities, changing of existential brains and universe space-time. Uh, so huge tonal shift where we're in that apartment. Uh, I should mention that in the Winkies scene with Betty and Rita, there was a waitress who looked vaguely like Naomi Watts named Diane with a Diane name tag. And that she had the same haircut as Naomi Watts woke up with in this new reality. And now suddenly, uh, and, and, and later on when they go to Winkies and she's hiring the hitman who should be their waitress except a, a name Naomi Watts-esque person with a name tag that says Betty. So this sort of interplay between the two realities is set up. Um, I'll just get to my thesis on this. We can argue it. Uh, I personally think this is my take on it. Uh, that basically the first uh, two-thirds or three-quarters of the film... Uh, was a uh, insanity, guilt, and drug-induced hallucination of the Naomi Watts character as she is in the process of taking her own life. I know the Wikipedia synopsis has her shooting herself. That's what we see on film. But when she opens the drawer to retrieve the pistol from her nightstand, we also see blister packs of pills. I think that she didn't shoot herself. I think she took an overdose of pills. And this is her mind flickering off, created this fantasy. Um, Uh, and I, I, I don't want to be reductivist about it. Uh, I think that uh, you know nothing exists in an island, and I think everything you're saying is true. That a lot of what we're seeing is David Lynch communicating uh, with the universe through his art, and there's an emotional validity to everything we've seen thus far. But I personally believe that in the alternate reality of this film, uh, that. Uh, everything up till now is an unreality that is the distorted perception of events through the mind of the Naomi Watts character in her journey to through jealousy and resentment uh, uh, having uh, her jilted uh, unrequited love murdered I um, think that um, that could be the case I don't think David Lynch is interested in uh, is in making that case. I to me, I didn't need. I don't need that as much. Um, what I think this film does is uh, uh, is a, a mirror, uh, um, and that mirror is the box. And th- how you get through there, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean. Uh, if he 
if he just uh, cut to black and then started the the, the last segment. Um, just as a juxtaposition of these two things, I think the the point uh, is still made, and I think that that I don't know. I mean, interpretations are are fine, but I think David Lynch uh, believes in weird shit more than than it just being a guilt ridden dream. He is somebody who I think believes in this box that is a pocket dimension. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. I just I just don't agree. <laughs> Frank, what what do you think? Uh, I I kind of I half agree. Like he has weird beliefs about spirituality and transcendence. So I think he does have this sort of um baseline belief about shadow selves and like mm. doppelgangers that he shares with Mark Frost, who is like a, a sort of a dyed in the wool Jungian, mm. uh, which is where a lot of the twin peaks milieu comes from. Oh, uh, so what do we think about this movie? I think it's, uh, it's a pretty very, good. It's good. It's a good one. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, it's pretty weird. <laughs> it's pretty um, weird. <laughs> I have to say as a, a, a not, um, as David Lynch fan as you guys are, uh, fucking go kill yourself. Yeah. No, 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 no. Choose is- your words very carefully, <laughs> my friend. I just, uh, I, I, I have seen Twin Peaks, and this was my first David Lynch film mm-hmm. after. The, so I, 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 and I, I experienced Twin Peaks at a time where I, I was not ready for Twin Peaks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so this this was this was weird, and I I needed some adjusting mm. to really start to follow what was happening at all. And it, um, Lynch is an acquired taste in the very real sense. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's yeah. it's like it might it's like um what's it what's that thing that tastes like soap to some people? Oh, cilantro. 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 David Lynch is cilantro, and it might taste <laughs> like or like black coffee. Or like black coffee, and it might taste like shit to you, and that's completely fine and accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I'm willing to try. But anyway, you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm fine with being wrong. That's Let's fine. cyber bully Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a fair. I just want one last little note here that I think this is, a, and we already touched on this. This is a roadmap to Twin Peaks: The Return. Yes, it is. Uh, it really is. Especially that shift in the final segment. <laughs> is exactly the shift between the previous 17 episodes and the last episode of The Return. Pocket Dimensions. Pocket Dimensions. Music! Music! There's a rusty light on the pines tonight, some corn wine, Lord Fires of the churches jutting out from the shadow. We listened to Joanna Newsom's uh, second album, East, co-produced by Van Dyke Parks and some I recorded by Steve Albini. That little beanie. Oh, that little Albini. 
<laughs> so, East is a made up place. So, so do we do we know? I don't I don't know offhand uh, a lot of the information, but there's East is is um, essentially a myth, fairy tale mm-hmm. land, and and um, because of the the daughter of the king there, she has uh, accidentally flooded this town, so it's this this uh, city underwater. What do we think of it, guys? <laughs> uh, this is a paradigm shifting masterpiece because, like, her album before this, "The Milk Eyed Mender," is really good. Mm-hmm. That's a really enjoyable album. But this is like, but that that a, was still kind of like twee, folky. Yeah, a, a song was used in like a car commercial. <laughs> Was yeah, and this yeah. is this is a Which one? roadmap to Joanna Newsom going Scrabbing forward. Bean? Yeah. yeah, that's pretty weird. Yeah, and a car commercial. Mm-hmm. What kind of car? <laughs> <laughs> um, I I kind of feel the same way about. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. About this album, a as bicycle? I are you thinking of bicycles? <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> yes, it just it was used in a commercial for the concept of bicycles <laughs> or horses. <Yeah>. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think that uh, East is an excellent roadmap to like every Joanna Newsom album after that. You know, have one on me and uh, divers are both great. Uh, and Milk Eyed Mender is sort of like a test run of like a very twee harpy album. And I think uh, like, that's a good album, but I think it's East a great album. Like yeah. Artistic leap forward. Yeah. And it was, it was a massive leap too. Yes. Like it was like, okay, now an entire orchestra yeah. and this incredible arranger composer is involved. Yeah. Um, and I, it just really, uh, flew it to the next level of you know this this like step in a career and and what a step can be in someone's career mm-hmm. um, for sure i think it is a great leap forward and because of that it doesn't all hit for me i think it's uh sometimes a little overproduced uh i think van dyke park's orchestration is beautiful but i think at times uh uh what Joanna Newsom is able to do later on uh, in terms of uh, uh, instrumentation, it doesn't seem fully there in this album. Uh, my favorite... <sighs> the, well, my, this, is, this is how they were recorded. She recorded her harp and singing, mm-hmm. and then they're like, all right, let's put an orchestra to it. You and, know, so there wasn't... Um, so maybe there wasn't like the forethought of like, okay, maybe this is where this string swell will happen or, or this other musical theme that might be addressed with, with strings and, and such. Yeah. I, my favorite uh, track on the album is Sawdust and Diamonds. There's a bell in my ears. There's the wide, white roar. Drop a bell down the stairs. Hear it fall forevermore. Hear it fall forevermore. 
And I think it's because it is so stripped back and it is so uh, minimalistic. It's a... Um, it's also a perfect example of something that Joanna Dusum uh, does extremely well, which is hold, uh, uh, building tension and holding on to that tension for minutes and then relieving that tension with uh, a bang. <laughs> I think my favorite track is Only Skin. The like 16 minute thing that she did with um, her then partner Bill Callahan from Smog. Uh, hardly, hardly did it with him. Yeah, he was in at the end. He was very small feature on <laughs> yes. the track. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But that is a great, great track. It's kind of like it's like half the album. It really is. Yeah. And I, I have to agree that it, it's one of those those tracks that really stands out to me. Um because of just where it goes. And I think that's something to be said of of Joanna's music is just like where she can go with a song is is not necessarily where most people will go yeah um i think in this album especially um joanna newsome uh is a rhythm machine yeah Mm. she um uh uh reminds me very much in in a certain senses of tom waits in their use of their voice as yeah. an, interest, an interesting instrument, yeah. as a percussive uh, instrument. Uh, her lyrics are percussive. Yeah. The way she sings them and can um, uh, string out a uh, one-syllable uh, word into yeah. <laughs> a cascade of... of and It's not... Um, athletic singing necessarily it's not uh it, yeah it's really not about, impressive yeah. if you get what i mean um but she is uh, the the lyrics and vocals are i feel equal to the harp absolutely equal to the rest mm. of the instruments. she often like invalidates her uh her voice as well as something like that's untrained and and childish and i like i resent that she says that yeah. because it's like the i think one of the most thoughtful performances of voice i've ever heard on a record mm-hmm. um i i have to say um i got into uh joanna newsom uh with the milk-eyed mender i had this cd in my car my brother christopher shout out to chris uh, borrowed my car and listened to the album, and he said something that forever changed my view of Joanna Newsom, <laughs> which was she sings exactly like Lisa Simpson, <laughs> especially on that first album. She's uh, I, we I will drop a clip in at this point <laughs> to prove they the point. have the mill and we yes. have the power. Yes. Come gather round, children, it's high time ye learned About a hero named Homer and a devil named Burns 
So we'll march day and night by the big cooling tower. They have the plant, but we have the power. Now do classical gas. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Jazz man. <laughs> <laughs> but she, she does have a weird voice. Absolutely. She does, and, and her voice got less weird after she had um, yeah throat surgery. She had like uh, uh, cancerous nodes on her throat. Yeah, I'm not sure they're cancerous. Uh, I think when you, she probably had vocal nodules, which are if you sing in a way that is not super healthy, oh, yeah. uh, you can develop these nodules on your vocal folds. They're kind of like calluses, and uh, they can they start off at like calluses, and it makes it impossible to sing. A lot of singers get them. Uh, but if they get uh, their own blood supply, and yeah, to your point, they, they might have been, you know, precancerous or something. Uh, they turn into these big, like fucking uh, glowworm-looking, uh, gloppy things. Mm. <laughs> on your, it's disgusting. Go on YouTube and just look up vocal fold surgery. It's awful. <laughs> Julie Andrews. It ruined her voice. That's a shame. Oh wow. Um, something interesting is I started when I started listening to Joanna Newsom. Um, at first, I heard Jackrabbits, which you put mm. on a mix CD for me, Justin, mm. um, and the, which is which is in Act Two of Have One on Me, mm-hmm. and it's it's just like really solemn, beautiful song, and and it's like the exact kind of song that uh, was the perfect entrance for me in mm. my previous taste into Joanna Newsom, and um, but from there, I actually started with experiencing an album. I started with Divers. Mm-hmm. The most recent. Hell yeah. Um, which I have to say is is still one of my favorites. And, and Ease is the, the last one I got to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so therefore I have the least um, time and history with it. But um, but I, I, I think I really love... Um, I really, I really love what she can do on her own without yeah. anything, um, because like the orchestra is really fantastic. But at some time, I, I think you're right. You were kind of mentioning this earlier, Justin. That uh, it's not necessary um, for mm-hmm. her music and her message and her um, the feelings that she evokes. Uh, the, the, it's not necessary for an orchestra yeah to yeah. be a part of that because an orchestra has a very specific sound it's a very big sound it's uh, something that overpowers her music yeah. uh, I think in have one on me and on um, divers she finally figured out how to complement the song itself on my heart this And I think it really has to do with that rhythm type of thing. All of her songs are very rhythmic, and the strings on this album, though beautiful and and interesting, and doing different things, counterpoints to the songs, um, they are kind of ethereal. When I am sleeping, 
Tim was saying earlier about how they um, uh, tracked uh, Joanna's main parts and then came back and overdubbed the uh, or- orchestration. That made a lot of sense to me. Uh, mm. Definitely, it's not as well integrated as it is with later records. Like I- I've been listening to Divers, and it's it's integrated, it's integral to uh, the arrangement, and it just kind of feels like just sort of like almost like Mickey Mouse Mickey Mouse ish sort of sprinklings on top. You know what I mean? Mm. That kind of really ratchets up the uh, whimsy meter uh, in a way that I know she can be a bit more um, serious. Yeah, I mean, Milk-Eyed Bender, I think, is probably her worst record. By probably a wide margin. I kind of legitimately think it's so different from the rest of her albums that I can't even compare it. You know what I mean? Right. That's exactly what I was going to say. They're they're all different um, experiences for me that they are each... um, It it really depends on my mood. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I can listen to Joanna Newsom because she's someone I'm so fascinated by. Mm -hmm. Um, But... So it it really depends on my mood. So like it's if if I'm feeling... Uh, I guess more simply, if I want a more straightforward song, I'm going to listen to Milk Eyed Mender. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I want to like take some more time to like think, or if I want to dive into like a really long, luscious story, that's when I'm going to get into East. Do you listen to yeah. Divers when you want to dive? <laughs> I listen to Divers when I want to dive. <laughs> I I will say uh, a big point to Milk Eyed Mender is that it was the first thing ever to introduce to me the term poetaster. Yes, yes, yeah, well, I, absolutely. I've said that on many occasions, and I think that's a wonderful word. It's a great word. She is. Uh, she could. She seems like kind of a weirdo. Um, she definitely is. She's, she's dating fucking Andy Samberg. Of course, she's a she's married she's to Andy married Samberg. To Andy had Samberg. His baby. Yes, Their Andy, Andy Samberg his. of. We've no, it's a weird. It's his baby. <laughs> um, I just had sex with Joanna <laughs> Newsom. Oh, she <laughs> worked on Lonely Island music with them. Did she? She has. Yeah. She has assisted. I don't know which which tracks or anything, but like, <laughs> it's in her credits as as a musician I, in the world. <laughs> I became Joanna Newsom's in my top three musical artists with Tom Waits and the Handsome Family. Absolutely. Um, when I first uh, heard Handsome Family, not as good as Drive By Truckers. Eat a shit, you not sponge. As good. As is Joanna Newsom. <laughs> um, I've, I've, her music did weird things to me in it, <laughs> and uh, and it really blew my mind. And then when I found out that she was married to Andy Samberg, and I've heard interviews with her, and you realize she's a regular person. That oh, it's yeah, like she's just a normal lady. She is a, in my opinion, a goddamn genius. Uh, she's amazing, and it's it's the added level of she's just a person that she could so easily wear flower dresses and and uh, 
and like flowers in her hair and have this ethereal personality. Jump cut to just, the cover of this record. Well, no, no, exactly, exactly. Justin just wants to skeet in Joanna Newsom. Oh my god! <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you, Frank? <laughs> Jesus Christ! Everyone in the room is bright red. <laughs> Frank is dying, as we can see on the video monitor. Jesus fuck! I. <laughs> But she is a a genuine artist, um, and I uh, just want to Jesus <laughs> fuck. I would like I would like to add one more thing um, that it, it's <laughs> let's just move on from that. Um, that the, she she li- has quite literally changed the way I think about songs and what songs can be. Yeah, and and um. It's it's so annoying now to hear people say like a song is too long because (coughs) there is so much that is so valuable in every second of one of her songs that you are not thinking about the time spent listening. If if I may uh, real quick talk about my album that I recorded a few months ago. Uh, one of my big things with it was uh, they're all like very short songs and what I wanted to do was uh, have a single complete thought and just be done with it as soon as I did that and in listening to Joanna Newsom her her 17 minute song is a single complete thought (laughs) you can't cut it down No, you would you would right. miss you would miss every uh, e- any verse, you know. Even even though much of like the length of her songs is like two minutes of vamping on a chord right. on like a single, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and there's nothing self indulgent about it, which no. is which is a review that I saw a lot about her record. Some might argue that this is self indulgent because of its length. It's just yeah, like, it's uh, just Robert, so uh, missing the point. Yeah. Yeah, Robert Criscow in particular had a, a pretty damning review of East um, that I won't read. But if you want to look it up, just read, just Google uh, Robert Christgau East Joanna Newsom, and he hated it. Uh, but he liked every other Joanna Newsom record after and before. But like this was like a weird breaking point for him. That's a shame. I see. I I don't agree with that, but I can see that. There, yeah. there is something a little not quite fully formed, I think, about this album. Even though it is obviously a ginormous artistic step forward. Yeah, yeah I, I think this is her paradigm shift. I think this is her just major artistic statement. Yeah. This is her masterpiece. Yeah, this is her identifying uh, piece. Really, yeah. it, this is yeah. what made Joanna Newsom Joanna Newsom. This, yeah, because before she was a freak folk artist with yeah. Milk Eyed Men, right? Yeah, um, she and, she just played the harp. Yeah, and yeah. she and she could have had a full career just doing that. Yeah. If uh, if there's an analogy to be made, I feel like this is like uh, brighter later by Nick Drake. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In terms of how totally it's like pink clouds and then this. Uh, tonally, it's not a hundred percent there because things are just coming later, being overdubbed. 
uh, and uh, like uh, Pink Moon, you see the full power of herself by herself. Uh, where that's where Nick Drake plays by himself. And uh, what's the other one? What, five leaves left. Five leaves left. He's also great. <laughs> Frasier! Fuck, fuck this super stupid song. Fuck this um uh, um um graphic as a star by Josephine Foster's better. I, I like Kate Bush. <laughs> I would say, lads, this is the funniest episode of Frasier we've done so far. Hey, shut the fuck up! I didn't do my thing yet. Go ahead. Dr. Frazier Crane's ex-wife is in town. Things get silly, they fuck. This week on the pod, Frazier's Crane season one episode something or other. Well, it's back in town or some shit. What do you have to say, Frank? This is the episode where Lilith comes back. It's really funny. It's it's a solid funny. gold, hilarious g- classic. It's funny. It's touching. Yeah, Talk it's about, heart fucking breaking. Talk about empathy. That moment. There is an amazing um, line about a minute in. There is an amazing Kelsey Grammer delivery mm. that I feel like is in the Tom and Justin pantheon of Kelsey Grammer deliveries. Ah. Uh. Which, do you guys know what I'm talking about? No. Pa- do we have a pantheon? <laughs> Which is... Well, Seattle, we have a celebrity of sorts on the line. This is my ex-wife, Lilith. What do you mean by celebrity? Oh, they know you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, uh. We, 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 we see the trope of uh, the comedically outmoded... Uh, psychological schools of thought mm-hmm. of Frazier. Yeah, yeah. She, he is a Freudian. She is a sort of Skinner behavioral exactly. therapist. Mm-hmm. Modern CBT type. Uh, a bucket of cold water uh, thrown on his whimsical practice. A bucket of cold water in every sense. We have Daphne having psychic headaches caused Once by her Once again, Daphne <laughs> <Moon. laughs> is a psychic. They, they stopped doing this like Six months later, but like they were going hard. Yeah. If Martians watched this show, they would synopsize it by saying a Mancunian psychic moves mm-hmm. in with some Seattle people and hilarity ensues. It's clearly the most interesting thing about which, this show. Which, by the way, I'm ashamed to admit I once did read a bit of fan fiction of a X-Files oh, Frasier crossover. Oh my. You wrote it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm I'm writing that's, the that's I'm the writing porn. the X-Files Twin Peaks Hellboy crossover. <laughs> I also I read a Twin it? Peaks Frasier crossover where Frasier and Niles went to the Double R Diner. <laughs> <laughs> it was still and eventually they become best friends with a guy named Tustin Totora. <laughs> now, now, Niles, this is the exactly kinds of earthy establishment that our uh, modern peasant folk enjoy. Exactly. <laughs> well, now, Sheriff Truman, there's this uh, bearded boy who is just the best. <laughs> And he makes us so happy, and his name is Justin. (laughs) (laughs) Cherry Pie. (laughs) Sheriff Truman, he's our best friend. (laughs) That's going to be my suicide note. (laughs) I'm Hellboy. I am also here and love Justin. Hellboy! (laughs) 
Anyway, back to fucking Frasier. No, I, we've switched realities. We've gone inside the blue box. Cinepunk. There is no orchestra. Anyway, Lilith comes back in this episode. She is fucking hilarious. Yes. Uh, she's so empathic, too. I think we feel more for her than we ever did during Cheers. Uh, yeah. She's so vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, she finds this letter in her apartment that Fraser had left for her, uh, begging her to, to reconsider their divorce. The tragedy being that uh, Fraser had written the letter a year previous and had since moved on with his life and was, was enjoying his new life in Seattle. I don't even know what I'm doing here. I've just been so lonely over the last year when I found your letter. It was, it was like a life preserver. I'm raising a child alone. I'm scared. I always thought of myself as a strong and independent person, but the truth is I'm afraid. I guess that's why I convinced myself that I was still in love with you. You mean you're not? No. I'm not. Well, that's... Well, that's good. I mean, so then what happened last night was only because you were lonely and I was... We all know what you were, Fraser. <laughs> he was horny. He just wanted to skeet in Joanna Newsom. Oh, Justin. my God! <laughs> I never said that! Skeet right in Joanna Newsom. Jesus Christ! You said it so many times, there's no way you can cut them all out! <laughs> oh, I'll find a way. <laughs> Joanna Newsom, if you're out there, Joanna Newsom. I never said or thought such things. <laughs> yes, you did. Jesus Christ. I wanted, let's not skip over a wonderful scene of oh, Niles. Jesus motherfucking Christ. I just have to tell you, I can't abide by that in the show. Jesus. My coworkers listen to this. <laughs> All right, I don't want to skip over the wonderful scene of Niles counseling Frazier. It's very funny. Here's a clip. It is. Do you think I should see her again tonight? Frazier, like most patients who come to a therapist, you already know the answer to the question you're posing. You just want me to agree with your decision and uh, support you, whether I share your opinion or not. Yes, but I don't have an opinion in this case. I'm sure you do. But I don't. Well, then I can't help you. <laughs> Broken Justin. So we're just, hey guys, we're I just, just want to skeet in Joanna Newsom. <laughs> oh, what a wonderful world this is. We've got the sound. Oh, what a wonderful world it could be. You guys are sons of bitches, each and every history. one of you, except for you, Tim. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is a good episode of Frasier. Okay, guys. I highly recommend. Are it. you all? Are you, are you proud of yourselves? <laughs> I you am. broke me. You broke me. A sweet, innocent lad from Liverpool. <laughs> Let's Sorry. recommend a thing to you. I got a couple things in my back pocket that you might like. Take a trip with me to the trunk of my car. I've got yeah, a few things that done. you might also like. The stinger's Lots done. Of I'm not things. recording a new one every week. Lots of stuff. Okay. I'm sort of fucking sorely tempted now to record a new stinger with that song. Let's recommend a thing to you. I've got a couple things in my back pocket that you might like. Take a trip with me to the trunk of my car. I've got a few things that you might also like. 
uh, hey, these are just some things that we like and we want you to like too. If you like Tom Waits, I've got a podcast just for you. It's called Song by Song. It's a couple of British men who uh, who are musicians. Uh, Take a look track by track, song by song, if you will. Um, an in-depth look at the songs of Thomas Allen Waits. Um, and it's a wonderful and insightful podcast. Tim, what do you recommend? Uh, I have uh, a couple things that I would like to recommend. Um, so, Alexandria Quarterly Press Mag.com is uh, a friend of mine who uh, publishes a, a, a quarterly magazine. And it's a bunch of um, very beautiful poetry, art, um, and short fiction. And, and they do a lot of other really, really fantastic things. Um, and another thing I'd like to recommend is com. I think. Is it .com or .org? I don't know. Just Google Ecosia. It's also an app, but it's a search engine. So replace Google with Ecosia, and it it plants trees and reforests, uh, rainforests that are are being devastated by our terrible world. And um, yeah, that's what I. I'm gonna hop on that bandwagon real quick. I might have a real thing, but uh, a coworker of mine turned me on to a site, freerice.com. It might be a really well-known thing, but it's this sort of site with a bunch of trivia quiz games right. that ratchet up intensity as you go. And the the gimmick is that for every question you answer, you're adding rice to a bowl, and they will donate the amount of rice that you virtually accumulate to. Uh, people who are hungry around the world and also really fucking addicting uh 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 vocabulary game with 60 levels of difficulty that I made it up to 48 and I just fucking need to make it to 60. <laughs> like it starts out with like cat means and it's like a list of like mailbox toaster furry animal and then at the end you're like trying to fucking parse out the etymology of some Quizzy cloclastic diesel, and it's like, does that mean alphabetical or pico rampital? And uh, you have to fucking, I don't know, it's addictive as fuck. And I'm helping people, I guess, sure. <laughs> Frank, uh, so I am going to recommend one of the best reality television shows I've ever seen. It is called Forged in Fire. Oh my oh god, my yes! God. <laughs> it is the best! Don't listen to this, you... Uh, no, 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 don't you listen to this out there! Have you seen Knife Night in America? Have you seen the, I, have you seen the, the combination with Ninja Warrior thing? Where I have not yet. It's, it's a bunch of fucking fire. incels. Yes, <laughs> it's the best <laughs> Stabbing pumpkins. <laughs> I've so, never heard a better blurb for it. <laughs> it is these dudes with ponytails and goatees. <laughs> And they fucking love Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, they love Conan the Barbarian. And, you know, they've never known the touch of another human being, but they know how to forge knives. They know the touch of cold, hard steel. And they, like, forge knives. It is chopped, but for knife the and knife. sword forge. I love the it judges. It's literally the same format as chopped. I fucking love the judges. They're my favorite part. Uh, and the and fucking the tests they do the- and uh like 
these like martial arts experts. You can't see the air quotes. Yes. So the last test in Forged in Fire is whether or not the uh, blade that you have designed will kill. It will kill. (laughs) So this dude, who is the quote-unquote martial arts expert of the show, uh, takes your weapon and he brings it up against a, a, a ballistics dummy. And he, like, fucking chops the shit. Cool, he comes out of it. Dummy. And he goes, this, it will kill. <laughs> it's so good. I highly recommend it. It's this weird thing where it it's fucking full rules. Circle. It is the best show I've ever seen. I anti-recommend that. <laughs> no, seriously. The History Channel has gone full circle where I loved it as a kid because it was actually educational. And then it just got more and more just incel, toxic masculinity, spike TV, crazy nonsense. But now it has gone so cartoonishly in that direction that they have something called Truck Night in America where, you know, oh there's like murderous pickup trucks you see on the road. It's basically Ninja Warrior, but Ninja Warrior, but for pickup trucks. Uh, listen to the dollop episode on... Uh Justin, did you listen to the Dollop episode on truck nuts? Uh, no. Oh, listen to it. It's great. But yeah, Forged in Fire. Forged in Fire is the best reality television show. It's better than Joppels. Well, that was quite an episode. I'm sure you out there in uh, TV land uh, will agree with us. But I've got one small favor to ask of you. Just a simple thing. And I... Write about us on iTunes. Yeah, do that. Rate us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Subscribe. Uh, do something, or else who knows what will happen to us. Jeez. You know all those wars Justin will about blow up the world. Uh, I have um, waterproofed the uh, doors and windows in this room, and it is slowly filling up with water. <laughs> I, even if you read a review, that's Ladies not going to change gentlemen. a thing. <laughs> So you can follow me. You can follow the Plaid Lads on the Instagram at Plaid Lads Pod. Also Twitter. Also Plaid Lads uh, Pod at gmail.com. And do any of those, whatever, you knows. I'm Justin Eric Tutora. I'm Tom Donahue. I am Francis Thomas McDevitt III. Uh, what the fuck? And I am Timothy Michael Brettschneider. What the fuck? Who the fuck? Who is this? What the who? You're not Frank. I've been on every episode <laughs> oh, behind each of you. <laughs> That's right. We had a special guest. We played a goof on you. We had a guest this week. It was Tim Brett yeah. Did you spot him? Did you? Did Tim's you... coming back. Ooh. What? <laughs> That's the thing he does. That's his catchphrase. That's you know you it well. He's got All a right. wonderful band hat and boots. Listen to it. <laughs> Just everybody go fuck yourselves. You know what? I've had it up Everyone to here. Everyone go die. <laughs> the battery's dying. This is perfect timing. We're all dying in some way or another. We're going to be back next week. With, uh, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing next week? Quick. Oh, I have no idea. We don't, right. we don't know. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're clear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.